take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. As I'm sharing with you these stories and anecdotes that stand out as highlights in my memory of the seven years of tears, what I call the seven years of tears, I'm aware that I'm still working my way through the major themes that delineated themselves during that period. Because as I discovered, like so many before me, these are just universal themes that every human being who wants to be free must live out. We all share the same pain, however we may dress it up in a different narrative and call it mine. Our pain is the pain of separation from source, seeming separation from source. We are all the same, as Rumi said. Listen to the reeds as they sway apart. Hear them speak of lost friends. At birth, you were cut from your bed, crying and grasping in separation. Everyone listens, knowing your song. You yearn for others who know your name and the words to your lament. We are all the same, all the same, longing to find our way back, back to the one, back to the only one. Nobody <laughs> expresses it like Rumi. Boy, coming back to the one, we all want to come back home. Coming home to the oneness of our true nature is part of the alchemical principle of solve et coagula. That's Latin, solve et coagula, which states that all things move between densification and dissolution. They move from the subtle to the gross and back again, from energy to matter and back again. They expand and contract. They go from fragmentation to reunification. This is an expression of the primal universal principles of rhythm and polarity and the movement back and forth, that's rhythm, between opposite states, polarity. It is the breath of God. In the journey of our soul's evolution, we have moved from the formless to form again and again and again and again, leaving source to explore the universe. Although we can never leave the source because the source is in everything and it is everything and nothing can exist apart from source. That's actually the first primal universal principle of oneness. But in the coagula part of solve et coagula, consciousness moves from the subtle to the gross into densification through form, into greater and greater complexity of differentiation and individuation into form, so much so that it forgets its source and seems to become separate from it. It gets lost in the dream of form, which is necessary for it to then remember itself again. 
<laughs> at some point when, like a boomerang, we reach our maximum individuation from source and begin to be drawn back into oneness again, we say we awaken from the dream of form. Another word you might hear for this process is ascension. Ascension is just referring to an ascension in frequency. Our frequency is shifting upward, and that means that we're becoming less dense, coagula, right? Our density, coagula, that's the, the, the root of the word coagulate, right? Um, so as we become less dense, our density is dissolving, that's solve, dissolve, the root of the word dissolve. So that's uh, solve et coagula, just in case I didn't explain that. The things we do to raise our vibration make it easier for us to ascend because we're going with the process and harmonizing our vibration with the higher frequencies of the fifth dimensional energy fields. Remember, ascension is happening already and we don't have a say in it, but we can resist and make things harder for ourselves or we can let go and go with the flow. We cannot take our third dimensional density with us into the fifth dimensional frequency range. It's just not possible. Translation, we have to let go of what's weighing us down. Our negativity, the past, our stories, the belief that we are separate, isolated fragments in a hostile universe. That belongs to an old paradigm. When we were living in the third dimensional density, that paradigm could stay in place, but now we're moving up we're being ascended, that paradigm is, is no longer valid. It's obsolete. It's obsolete. And so we have to evolve. Listen to the words that Rumi uses in that poem. Apart, cut, lost, separation, crying, grasping, lament, yearning, longing. This is human life. We signed up for this. <laughs> To be born a human is a huge opportunity for spiritual acceleration. So at the soul level, you knew exactly what you were doing when you came here because it offers the maximum range of experiences and choices for the resolution of karma. You were born exactly perfect, just the way you are, in exactly the perfect circumstances for you to actualize your highest potential and resolve your own karma. It doesn't mean that we will, remember, we must decide to anchor the soul body. We talked about that last time. And we do that through our choices. And that's what we get here. We get a plethora of choices, an infinite number of choices. Every moment we're choosing something. Every moment offers a bifurcation that puts us on one timeline or another, away from source or back to source. It's like that game I play with my niece and nephew where I hide something and they try to find it and we tell them whether they're hot or cold, right? As they get closer to it or further away. Getting warmer, warmer, hot, burning hot. And then they turn the wrong way and we say, oh, no, 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 colder, colder. What are you doing? Icy cold. Turn back. You were so close. <laughs> right? I feel like... We get to play that game with the universe all the time. <laughs> we make choices. And based on those choices, we get hotter or colder. We become lighter or heavier. We rise and fall like a cork in the infinite ocean of consciousness, and we end up exactly where we ourselves have determined. No one else. We alone are responsible for where we are right now. There's no point blaming anyone or anything else. But wherever we are right now is the perfect starting point to come back home. Thus, when we humans as 
soul extensions begin to feel the pull to come back home, we must go through a process of reintegration. We are the result of all the choices we've ever made. And there's been a lot of fallout from those choices, a lot of consequences, right? So we're not the only individual expression split off from a greater whole. See, as we coagulate, densify, move down through the ladder of subtlety into form as an individual expression of consciousness, an individual soul extension, we are actually one of 12 of these soul extensions from our soul. We're not a me, we are a we. We're we. <laughs> and that soul is one of 12 belonging to a monad, which is one of 12 belonging to a spark of the divine presence. And there are an infinite number of those sparks of the divine presence. You get the idea. We're part of a big, big, big extended family. Remember, why is this necessary? Because we in our current form, cannot hold the frequency of divinity. That's not possible. We'd burn to a crisp, like a household lamp plugged directly into a bolt of lightning. It's as if through a series of step-down transformers that we come into form, and we can handle a certain wattage here, if you will. Now we're being tuned up to handle more wattage, and it's not always very comfortable. So not only are we individuated and split off from our collective soul, but within ourselves, we are split off, <laughs> fragmented, compartmentalized, and separated. We've done that to ourselves, and we must unify within ourselves before we can be, in turn, unified to a higher frequency of energy, before we can reunite, come home to our soul. Everything that we've ever denied and made wrong within ourselves is living in separation within our psyche. Think about that. And the very fact of raising our vibration brings up this split off material, this split off energy from the subconscious, and that must be processed and reintegrated before we can go any further. This is why spiritual work often makes you feel like a yo-yo, up and down. You work on yourself, you take responsibility, you let things go, you forgive yourself and others. You reintegrate one little shadow within your light and you go up, right? Suddenly you're buoyant and you feel gratitude and love and spontaneous joy and it feels effortless. You float for a while above your karma. Then it's time for more. <laughs> to the degree that you rise, you then fall as more subconscious matter is brought up for processing. Again, the principles of rhythm and polarity are in evidence here. You start to understand then that you shouldn't hold on to the highs or worry too much about the lows because it's just part of the process. And it's actually those high moments where you feel clear and effortless and like, you, you know, you just... Uh, flowing with life, it's those periods that actually enable us to go down deeper into the psyche and pull up more subconscious matter for processing. That's the balance. So there are universal themes we must all live out as we awaken to our true nature, just as any hero on the hero's journey must meet with all kinds of challenges and face all kinds of foes and seeming adversaries. The process of inner alchemy brings up for healing 
our dualities, inner conflicts, shadow selves, and other expressions of separation energy. And those are those are depicted in archetypes and fairy tales and stories as monsters and all different kinds of foes and challengers and nemesis. As we are being ascended, I mean, that's kind of how it feels, right? We're not choosing to ascend. It's happening and we're happening with it because that is the, the nature of our evolution. As we're being ascended, we are required to accommodate a higher frequency of light into our cellular structure. We must drop our density so we can naturally rise, just like dropping the sandbags on a hot air balloon. Spiritual evolution is all about letting go rather than adding anything to yourself. It's a process of revelation, revelation of that which you are in essence already. So what are these universal things that we find ourselves letting go of on the journey? The first one I would say is blame. This is about taking responsibility. It's the first step or we really can't go any further. If somebody is really blocked and stuck in blaming and in victim consciousness, right? And they they don't want to let go of that. They can't really grow. They just, you know, so you have to be willing to give that up. And this can be a real challenge because we have to transcend this hypnotic trance of causality and dualistic thinking that splits everything into perpetrator victim. The world is really founded upon that split. But if you can drop all the blame and realize that everything is as it is, as a consequence of what it has become, as a consequence of the infinite field of consciousness, and not because of this or because of that. That's a very simplistic way of seeing things. Once you can let that go, you begin to see through the veil of illusion and then you become unexploitable by any system or any ism. So that's a big one that we have to let go of, blame. We have to let go of negative emotions. And the problem is we're attached to those. We're used to feeling them and we, we confuse those feelings with our personal self, with us. In order to let go of negative emotions, we have to be willing to feel our feelings instead of suppressing them or avoiding them. So once we let go of blame, we can finally own our feelings, right? We recognize that they belong to us as unresolved energies rather than making them somebody else's responsibility or somebody else's fault. This is a big step in taking back the power that we've given away to others. They made me feel that way. No, that's not possible. You feel that way on your own. <laughs> we all have our own stuff. Thank you very much. It belongs to us and it gets triggered by people on the outside. It's easy to blame other people. It's, uh, it requires a lot more courage to own those emotions and to let go of them. In other words, to feel them, finally feel them and take responsibility for them. We also start to let go of the past, right? When you let go of negative emotions, you're letting go of the past. You let go of your story and the attachment that you have to it. We, we realize that we have a story, we have a history, but it doesn't define us. It doesn't mean that we are that story. We begin to reframe our story as the one we needed to grow and ultimately free ourselves from the frame of the story and step right out of it. And as we take responsibility for our experiences and feelings and liberate ourselves from the past, we begin to let go of the mask 
of the false self. It's no longer necessary to present a certain face to the world. You don't care what anybody thinks anymore. (laughs) The ego begins to weaken, right? The ego is very concerned with what other people think, even if it's only secretly, right? So as we let go of the mask, the ego is beginning to weaken. We stop defending. We stop trying to prove something. We're more willing to be seen as we are. No more hiding. And people can make of it whatever they want. And we have to be willing to let go of control, right? The more we trust the flow of life and the benevolence of the universe, the more we're willing to let go of control. The ego believes it's doing this thing called life and it takes ownership over all experience in one ten thousandth of a second. If we start to recognize the role of the ego in its evolutionary context, We don't personalize it as much anymore, and we don't set ourselves up in an adversarial relationship to it, which only strengthens it. The truth is that everything is happening spontaneously and automatically, and creation is unfolding perfectly at every moment. Potentiality is becoming actuality by virtue of the infinite power of the field of consciousness. And we're interacting with that with our karma. (laughs) So... Again, this view of life is, can only be found by transcending causality and the Newtonian paradigm. And that's how we make the quantum leap from the intellect to the heart, from 3D to 5D, from the energy field of reason to the energy field of love, which includes reason, but is no longer limited by it. This is important, so I want to say it again. The energy field of love is a different paradigm of consciousness from the energy field of reason. Reason wants to be wants everything to be proved. <laughs> you the the linear wants to prove the nonlinear. They're two different paradigms. The heart is the space of direct intuitive knowing which bypasses the intellect and is of a higher calibrated level of consciousness. This field of love is not a feeling or emotion, the way we often think of what love is, but a state of being which perceives the oneness in all. It perceives the one self in all. That's love. It's a very powerful frequency that recontextualizes and integrates what has been separated by the intellect, and therefore, it heals. The alchemical keys that I shared with you in the first part of this season of the gray space are all about helping you let go. Let go of blame, let go of negativity, let go of the past, let go of the mask, let go of control, all these things that we've just talked about. The more we let go, the higher we rise. It's natural. As we let go of separation, we naturally become whole. (laughs) When you take away the walls, everything becomes one, right? That's healing. It's the integration of all the parts of yourself that you split off and compartmentalized because they were deemed unacceptable. Now we can do that consciously or we do it also mostly unconsciously. Most of that stuff we don't even remember, but you don't have to know what it is. Everything comes up naturally once you say yes to the process and tell the universe that you're open and you're ready to come home. Unconditional acceptance, unconditional love, humility, forgiveness, and surrender, that will do the work for you. 
I'm still letting go of the mask. There are so many layers of self-deception. And as they become more subtle, they require surrender at greater and greater depth to dissolve. And the thing is, you can't see them until you see them. <laughs> Years ago, I made a symbolic move to reveal myself to myself. I wasn't ready at the time to be fully exposed at all the levels. The fruit was still ripening on the tree. And sometimes the symbolic move is the only one that we're ready to make. However, it helped. It was my way of setting an intention with the universe as my witness. I walked into a hair salon in Los Angeles and I announced to the young lady who was there, the stylist, I would love it if you would shave my head today. <laughs> she laughed out loud. <laughs> then she realized I was serious and sort of lost a shade of color. I reassured her with a smile. I promise you I'm of sound mind. I'm sure of my decision. I've been thinking about this a long time. <laughs> she did not look convinced, but I could hardly blame her. At that point, my hair was long to down below my shoulders. I could see all kinds of anxious thoughts flitting through her mind as she imagined me wailing loudly, tear-stained and remorseful with my long locks strewn on the floor around her styling chair and writing a terrible review on Yelp. She appeared to need some support, so I took her hand and I said, it'll be fun. Please do this for me. And I plopped down into her chair. <laughs> After some further reassurance, she made the first big cut to the chin level. I could hear the sound of my wet hair flopping onto the floor. Well, this looks really good on you, she said. Are you sure you want to keep going? Yes, please. I nodded confidently. Then she gave me a really cute boy cut, clearly hoping to sell me on moderation. I complimented her work, and then I asked her to please shave it off. She did a short lap around the room and returned to her station with the words, I need a margarita for this. <laughs> she was really sweating. Meanwhile, a bit of an audience had gathered for the ritual. My husband, my stepson, and a few curious onlookers in the salon, no pressure. With continual big toothy grins, I cheered her on, and finally she grabbed the clippers. Okay... Her voice was heavy with misgiving, and bzzz, she began to shave the rest away. So this was the setting for the radical choice of buzzing off all my hair after many, many years of covering my gray, which I started doing in my, my mid-30s. I never questioned this. I just did it. Like most women did, at least women in show business, of which I was one, because you know how it is with women in show business, you have to look as young as you can for as long as you can, blah, blah, blah. That was my excuse, which I fully bought into without even a thought for ages. Talk about programming. <laughs> Over the years, the need for coloring went from every 12 weeks to every eight weeks to every four weeks or so as the gray invaders multiplied and replaced this dark brown hair that I'd always identified with. And not only was that costing me boatloads of cash, but the health consequences of repeated use of even the least toxic version of hair dye, frankly, made me uneasy. So I decided to take matters into my own hands and switch to the finest dark henna I could find. I purchased it online and I stockpiled it in my bathroom cabinets and ritualistically carved out six hour blocks once a month to stay on top of the advancing army. These epic evenings were spent with my head swaddled in plastic wrap for hours and 
this slowly dripping goo would would make its way down my neck as my body heat melted the gobs of henna. I looked idiotic and I was thoroughly mocked by my husband in the process. Then I would take a 20-minute shower to remove the encrusted mud and destroy all our towels and shower curtains and bath mats in the process. Though my hair emerged from the ritual a gleaming deep brown, I was very much aware of winning the battles but losing the war. I became curious about this feeling of dread that would creep in as that white line would start to creep out from my part and an even deeper, incomprehensible sense of shame and despair, as if I had somehow failed as a woman because I was getting older and it showed. Sometimes I would say no to a social evening because it was my henna night and I wouldn't feel right again until the white line was banished. Then I started worrying about how I was going to manage my henna routine during my longer stints away from home when I started going back and forth to France. Believe me, it was a complex and messy operation. Couldn't be done just anywhere. It required strategy and planning ahead. Worst of all, I didn't want anyone besides my closest friends to know that I dyed my hair. As if it were a shameful habit I had to hide, like drinking alone or binging on porn. All of these psychological contortions were finally exposed one day during a conversation at my teacher's ashram in France during my second year of training. I often gazed at one of my mentor teachers there, a woman in her 50s with long salt and pepper hair, and I wondered if she'd ever been through such inner machinations. While chatting with her on a break one day, lo and behold, I found out that until a few years before, she had colored her hair just like me. When she decided to grow out her gray, her kids were like, Ooh, mom, no. But she showed them the hand and did it anyway, sailing through the awkward growing out stage with serenity. I must have been gazing at her admiringly again because she pounced, mischievously suggesting that I might consider doing the same. I blabbed some condition-based excuse about being an actress and how naturally that made me an exception. <laughs> I couldn't possibly do that. She saw right through me, but then I changed the subject. But then she changed it back and switched to English. Claire, why you always want to hide? Why you cannot be yourself? She was qualified to point this out to me. After all, she'd been giving me Universal Healing Rays sessions for about a year and had become a trusted confidant. Looking back now, it's amusing to see that back then I didn't even consider that being open, being myself with those closest to me was even an option. <laughs> when it was suggested to me that I was hiding, my response was, of course I am. I believed it was my duty to protect those I loved from the aspects of myself that I believed would cause them upset. You cannot protect anyone, she would say. Who are you to try to protect people from their own feelings? You interfere with their karma. Hands off. Just be you. You be you. So you, you understand how the victim-perpetrator consciousness, this, this causality paradigm, uh, was operating in my psyche there. I didn't understand yet that their feelings belonged to them, that I couldn't trigger things, but those things are already within, right? So that was, that was the space of consciousness that I was in that was causing me to hide also because I didn't want to hurt other people. And this is very common. 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you can identify with this. You don't want to hurt other people. You protect them from you. You protect them from things. Their reaction is belongs to them. It belongs to them. That's why she was saying I was interfering with their karma, interfering with their ability to make choices and to heal themselves. Hands off. Hands off. <laughs> Just be you. You be you. When a teacher plants a seed in your psyche, it takes some time to grow. But for some reason, that conversation about our hair triggered dominoes of realization. I must have been ready. Within weeks, I went from politely nodding at her suggestion that I could grow in my gray while inwardly thinking, yeah, right, when pigs fly, to realizing that coloring my hair actually symbolized a global and long-standing habit I had of hiding in every area of my life. Why I cannot be myself? Why I want to hide? I began asking myself in French-accented English. I could literally feel the tide of my energy turning, and suddenly I knew that with one act, I could make a powerful declaration to myself and to the universe that I was done hiding, or at least that I was open to beginning to love and accept myself, all parts of me, just as I was. And that would be between me and me. After this conversation at the ashram with uh, this teacher of mine, I went back to Canada to do a theater contract. And every night I would be in the dressing room, pin curling my hair, my long, long hair to put under my wig cap, to put under my wig. And every night as I was staring at myself in the mirror, pin curling my hair, I was dreaming about shaving it off. So shortly after finishing that theater contract and while preparing for a trip to Thailand of indeterminate length, my husband and I found ourselves in LA and in that hair salon. It seemed like the opportune moment since we were about to get on a plane and go to a hot country where nobody knew me just in case it was a disaster. I've left you a link in the show notes so that you can share the final moment with me. This was the video I sent to my family after the deed was done. And I must say, I felt liberated and exhilarated and magnificent. I could see my face unadorned and my shorn head attracted spontaneous and warm-hearted compliments from strangers that truly touched me. It was as if they sensed that I was allowing myself to be seen for the first time, or maybe that was just my projection, but there was no protection from my hair anymore. Couldn't hide behind my hair. One day I was working on my laptop from a coffee shop on Lanta, the island where we would go in Thailand, and I felt eyes on me. I saw a woman about my age, another Westerner, staring at me from across the room periodically. I went back to work and I could feel her energy on and off throughout the next 20 minutes or so. Finally, as she got up to leave, she approached my table and said, I just want to tell you that you're beautiful with a sincerity that still brings tears to my eyes. The reflection the world offered me was loving, kind, and encouraging. It wasn't about the hair. <laughs> I felt held in my decision to try to be more myself, even if the choice was only being expressed on the surface for now. <laughs> but that was my path, living on the surface of life. So I thought, if I change my appearance, <laughs> it'll change something in me. But that is a valid path. It's called fake it till you make it. 
As my hair grew in a bit more, I could see the salt and pepper patterns swirling around my head and I found them beautiful. I loved my ultra-simplified morning routine, which took no time at all, and the straightforwardness of my interface with the world. This new way of being communicated a deep acceptance to my fragmented psyche, like a soothing balm to the thousands of betrayals my soul had endured through my ignorance of its constant presence. We betray our soul when we turn a deaf ear to its cries for authenticity, when we contort and twist ourselves to fit what we believe is expected of us, when we lose ourselves in the false self and play our role because it's more convenient and safer, when we're so afraid of our creative impulses, we don't even allow ourselves to know what they are, when we deny and distort our divine power and split off and hide what we've denied. Why would we do such things? Why do we betray our soul? Because we're not even aware of it. It's sleeping in a glass casket in the underworld of our being. And the ego has usurped its place and said, I am you. I've always been with you. I'm the one that's kept you alive through millions of lifetimes. I am the source of your very life. And we believe it and live in fear, feeding the beast, that survival program that says, get out there and get, get love, get approval, get praise, get money, get sex, get power, get ahead, otherwise you're dead. The ego has only animal energy, which must be constantly fed. Our true source is inexhaustible spiritual power. The anchoring of the soul body is about saying yes to our true source of power and letting go of our longtime companion and tormentor, the ego. When we long to simply be ourselves, whatever that is, that's the voice of the soul. When we dare to step out of the roles we've always played and to know ourselves as the light of the soul that we are, we shine that light on the darkest corners of our psyche and everything we've hidden and denied. And that light is shown not only on us, but on our family, our lineage, the constellation of beings closest to us, and all of the unspoken agreements we have that hold in place the false constructions and the illusions we cling to. No wonder we don't want to rock the boat. We have this fear that everything will fall apart, and that that fear is not unfounded. We are afraid of the light afraid of exposure, afraid to give up the mask, afraid of what we've denied, compartmentalized, glossed over, and relegated to the collective unconscious. Guilt and shame hold all of this in place, and we huddle and cower in the dark and cover it all up with a lot of denial for as long as possible. Shaving my head and starting over, showing my true colors, if only my hair color, marked the beginning of unconditional self-acceptance. That was a decision, a conscious decision, a willingness to be seen, naked and vulnerable and even broken, where I had once spent enormous energy upholding a false self. It was a symbolic act. It didn't create a new self any more than growing in my grades brought me wisdom. No external act can generate a transformation that isn't already happening on the inside. It can't bring you home any more than buying a house, even your dream home, can. 
nothing we create based on duality can ever bring us back to the one. The only one. However, the intention we set to become whole again does attract the divine grace as we step into the heart of our own darkness and discover that it is filled with light. I'll see you again next time. Meanwhile, walk in grace. Thank you for joining me in the grace space where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.